Paul, how's it going? Great, thank you. Thanks for having me, Mickey. Absolutely. I'm so, so excited to have you on Wondercast because you have such an amazing background. And I'll, I'll be a little bit nerdy and I'll talk about your tech background as well, which I was blown away hearing, you know, about jQuery and everything. Uh, um, and I'm so excited because you've been, you've made this amazing transformation, like, yeah, actually like a transition from the, uh, uh, from the tech world into the creator space and you ran uh, uh, all the creators uh, uh, um, space in Google and right now you're the head of creators at Koji and thank you so much for having for, for being here sorry yeah of course thanks for having me I'm so I'll, I'll, I'll start Paul with probably the most uh, uh, common question I heard when I told people that I'm gonna have you on our podcast which is why did you make this transition after so many years in the heavy tech space to the creator space? It's a great question. Well, you know, I, I would say I'm an ecosystems guy. So for many, many years, uh, I really wanted to have the open web thrive. You know, the open web is what I grew up on. And so I figured out, okay, I want to keep it alive. I want to keep it healthy. And so that was really my primary job at Google all these years, no matter which audience I would reach. And so at first it started to be developers. And I really thought that once you convince all the web developers to do the right things on the web, then naturally everything else will follow, right? They're building great things, which means that content creators will now flock to the platform and build great things. I don't think that's true anymore, to be honest. <laughs> I think really? there has been a power shift to creators. Yeah, I think nowadays it's the creators that create content that will decide where, they, where to go primarily, right? And then developers will build the things for them as opposed to the other way around. So um, I guess two years ago, so I realized that uh, this trend has been shifting dramatically on the open web as well. Where like I, I asked myself with the developer relations teams that I've built, can I still meaningfully influence and bring content back to the web? And I arrived at the conclusion that is no, I can't. So uh, that's why I shifted focus to talking to content creators directly to make sure that they understand why does the web matter? Why does having a website matter? Why does having a domain matter, etc. And uh, I think that made sense. <laughs> I still think that makes sense. Yeah, Paul, I think, you know, that's extremely interesting to me as well, because I previously co-founded Rapid API, and then I moved from developers to content creators as well. And tell me a little bit on how do you see, you know, in terms of power of infrastructure, uh, the influence of content creator over the internet versus developers, because it's, that's an interesting discussion to have. Well, developers, you know, developers, I would say, it's been it's been getting pretty rare. I mean, you remember the term full stack developer? You know that time when people used to do everything, right? You know, back end, front end, everything. I would say that time um, is not a thing anymore. That's not really not a thing anymore, right? Because developers are so specialized nowadays. Even if you think about front end development, right? There's a CSS developer. There's like a UX developer. There are so many special specializations now, and it's very rare nowadays that a developer is also the content creator and is building everything, right? So, so that has been the case maybe in the 90s and early 2000s. But nowadays, these roles have, have shifted dramatically. So if you think about who is that magical unicorn that actually produces a website online with content, with all the bells and whistles, right? And, and is a business in themselves, that's really the content creator itself, right? I mean, the, the content creator is that kind of business that, uh, you know, they are uh, fueling that gig economy that makes up the content corpus of any platform. 
But a web developer is really often just a small piece in the whole machine. That doesn't mean they're less important. They're still important, but they're not going to be the ones that produce dramatically new web experiences uh, as long as it's content related. Now, of course, there's another trend happening and that's around web apps, you know, progressive web apps, etc. But that's not what it's going to bring content back to the web, right? We need those individual content creators to do it. And, and you know, so, so if you're looking at, so you're working with creators, you worked at Google and now you're working at Koji. What would you, and, you mm -hmm. know, creators have many new tools to create content, uh, but they also have many new tools for making money, which is extremely important mm -hmm. to them because that's the only way for them to focus on this and keep making amazing content. What do you think yep. was the change that really made it possible for creators to start actually making it a business? I don't know. There's been a lot of tools. Um, I would say the uh, proliferation of content platforms is is a great thing, but then making money on them is still not super easy. So, you know, I have all these content platforms that are now adding monetization services to it, but it's not the same as, let's say, uh, Patreon, right? Patreon's specific focus was to create a machine to, uh, to foster a thousand true fans economy, right? With all those creators getting to a thousand true fans and paying, uh, um, you know, setting subscriptions, etc. And so with the platforms, the platforms are now tacking on these monetization features uh, to the platforms. But the problem is that you now have um, a lack of separation of concerns. And what I mean by that is if you have a Instagram account, and you make all your money using the tipping features, whatever, subscription features, et cetera, that they're gonna introduce on Instagram, and you lose your Instagram account, that's it, right? You're, you're over, you're done. Um, and there's really no good way to restore that function now. So um, I think creators have started to learn how to separate those things, to figure out, okay, there's, there's a content discovery piece here. There's a place where I create my content, and then there's a place where I funnel my biggest audiences to paying fans. And that's my, that makes a huge difference. Like that, that awareness uh, at the actual content creator level that they need to run this like a business where they have to figure out, okay, what's top of funnel? What's, what's you know, how do I narrow it down? Um, how do I go niche? Uh, how do I find my truest fans and then monetize them over time? I think that conversation we haven't had in the early 2000s, right? I mean, that's only starting, you know, I would say two or three years ago now um, I would say. Now, I might be wrong here, but I think there's definitely this kind of shift happening. Probably with the influencers wave. Yes, I think so. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. But even with influencers, you know, if you look at the typical influencer, I would say they're not usually the one that monetizes to their fullest potential. That's the really interesting thing. The influencers are usually those that live off brand deals, but they don't implement the thousand true fan strategy, right? They really want to blow up on Instagram or YouTube or TikTok, whatever you want, right? And then uh, get these really amazing brand deals in place. And that's okay, but the problem is that the brand deal monetization is really stressful. You know, you're creating active income all the time, income that you have to work for, and over time people burn out. So I think uh, really broadening that to a set of monetization that includes passive income is so much healthier, to be honest. And I think, you know, everybody are curious because you've had such an important position as a head of creators at Google. So first of all, tell us a little bit about what it, what it means 
and uh, uh, and I think you know creators are eager to learn a little bit of tips on how to uh, use Google as a growth channel. Great question. Yeah. So the first thing I'd say is that a lot of people think that I worked at YouTube, right? Because if you think about creators, most people think YouTube. <laughs> uh, now, YouTube, of course, is one of the content platforms that Google has. But the much more important platform, in my opinion, is the open web. And so YouTube, of course, um, has all the creator outreach that they need. They have creator marketing, they have you know everything related to creators. And they, they needed that because they grew that platform from zero creators onwards. So they knew, knew from the get-go, we need to make sure that creators come here, right? We need to create a flourishing ecosystem. But the problem is that Google did not do that. So when Google arrived at the web, the web was already there. There was already content. So Google just made it a mission to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. That's their mission statement, right? And so um, unfortunately, that statement doesn't really work out so well anymore if the world's information is not on the open web anymore. <laughs> so we've over, over the years, right. we've seen this trend, as most of you do, right? That content is now escaping into what we call walled gardens. So apps that technically use the internet but are not accessible anymore to the outside, you know, are not part of the open web. Right, they can't be indexed. They can't be on Google search results. Which is, let's say that that's TikTok, that's Instagram. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So you know, they they are different. There are different levels of openness versus closeness. I've I've blogged about this before. So check out my blog if you want to read more about this. Um, but but really, uh, that is really a worrying thing to me. Right. So uh, at Google, we basically never had a outreach team, something similar to developer relations that organizes events, creates educational content for creators, talks to them directly, etc. And so that's something that I've started with uh, my friends in marketing two years ago and uh, made sure that for the first time, Google would actually advocate for the creator. And that's something that was just totally, totally uh, new to Google. You know, we've done this with the developer ecosystem for a long time. We have never done this with creators. Um, so that, that was really my, my job with Google. Uh, uh, yeah, and then the second question, I guess, what can you do uh, on on Google? What, how can you how can you use Google to your advantage with some things maybe you don't know yet as a content creator? So one of the one of the things I call out, and you know this one already, but I call it out to everyone else is uh, web stories. So uh, web stories is one of the initiatives that we brought to market as at, at, at the Google for Creators initiative, and that's really. Similar to the Instagram stories, you know, it feels similar to Instagram stories and other types of stories that we've used to, but they are fundamentally different, right? With Instagram, you, you might upload a story about what your dog had for breakfast, right? And that's great. That's a good story for Instagram. And it's a one page at a time. Amazing. But web stories are more editorial. So they have a beginning and an end and they're multi-page long and you upload them to your actual website. So that, that's a huge difference. Now they make you money. You put ads on them, they make you money, you can link out to any other site, etc. So they are really web pages, but formatted in a way that modern consumers on mobile actually want to consume. And we've proven that, you know, we've worked with Forrester but, on but a study. Where, where creators can actually see, but where creators can actually see those uh, uh, stories? Like how do they actually can, you know? So anywhere a link works, you know, they can see those stories, but particularly Google is also showcasing them on Google Discover and on Google Search. 
So if you search for something like things to do in New York, then we show this story grid on Google search that makes it a way more visual experience to the end user experience, right? And so on Google Discover as well, if you use Google Discover, and by the way, if you don't know what Google Discover is, you're not the only one. A lot of people don't know this product by name, which is ironic. It's hard to discover Google Discover. But if you swipe to the, <laughs> I guess it's the left on your Android home screen, or if you open the Google app on Android, you see this feed, this stream of web content. And we now have a stories carousel in there that allows you to browse stories that are created on the open web. And again, the big difference is that these stories live on your own website, right? So they are yours to control. You can change them. You can make money with them, etc. Uh, so there's a whole lot of people that now benefit from this. For instance, food bloggers, because they already have a very visual medium. Travel bloggers, of course, right? And so that would be something that I would encourage you to check out. There's a web stories editor for, for WordPress that my team has worked on that you could download if you're using WordPress. Um, but yeah, like unfortunately, Stories has only launched in the US and Brazil and India so far. I'm, ho I'm hoping they're going to extend it to more countries. But that's one of the examples of, of things that we're pushing at, on the Google site. Yeah. I'll also add that we just added, uh, like all of the content that is going directly on Wonder is turning into stories. And awesome. uh, we just realized that creators don't understand that it's actually possible. Most of them don't really have a, a website uh, uh, to add this content on. So we basically bridged that for them. So um, FYI, and, and yeah, that's absolutely a really good way to uh, kind of uh, uh, get exposure. But I want to I wanna talk with you a little bit because you, you did, did an amazing job at, at Google and then you moved to Koji now, mm -hmm. which is a completely new modular... Uh, a, a, like uh, a web page for creators um, with amazing monetization widgets and stuff like this. Yep. But before we're getting to Koji, I'm curious to hear how do you think the future of the creator economy would look like? Because you have the infrastructure that is a little bit more closed, which is you know TikTok, Instagram, and etc. You have the open web. Uh, you have many startups now doing monetization for creators. Do you think this will be a you know win, winner takes it all kind of a scenario? Do you think this will evolve into a whole infrastructure? How do you envision the future of this? It's a great question. There are so many ways to attack this, but I would say you know there are three things that I often think about uh, and worry about that I think are going to be big pillars of the creator economy moving forward. The first one is the gig economy. You know, really the the creator economy is a gig economy, and I think that's very important to understand. Right? If you are if you're a creator, you're basically like an Uber driver. You, and you know, a lot of people jump into this profession not understanding that now they have to worry about healthcare, about lawyers, about taxes, about all these things, right? That you didn't have to worry in a salary job. And so there's going to be a whole proliferation of services in creator economy startups that are either already there or will be created in the future for that particular purpose, right? So, you know, whether that's a bank account for creators and there's a few startups in that category, whether it's, you know, taxes for creators and there are startups already popping up in that category, right? So that's, that's I would say, that's a big pillar. Now, the other one, I think, is content discovery. And I think that hasn't been a solved problem for the most part, because if you look at the big flat platforms right now, like TikTok and Instagram and so on, really what's happening is content-wise, it's a race to the bottom. You know, you're you're really creating content that is optimized for maximum engagement, right? And what kind of content does that produce? Well, it becomes 
mush. <laughs> and, uh, and so I think there are other platforms right. that are starting uh, and I started to see them, for instance, Patreon, you know, has added the ability to store content on the platform as well. And so the typical Patreon creator, as an example, is not that type of creator. You know, that's more of the creator middle class, somebody who is going ultra niche and they create content for their biggest fans. And they don't care whether something has broad McDonald's-like appeal, right? They produce content that's high quality right. for a particular audience. And I think that's a, that's a shift that needs to happen on a broader scale with other content platforms. So I think we're probably going to see a few platforms that feel like TikTok and feel like Instagram, but are optimized for that 1,000 true fan strategy, for that creator middle class. And I'm actually really excited to see that. So that's, that's uh, the second pillar that I think about all the time. And then the third one is inspiration. And I, I talk about this all the time. Um, and inspiration, why is inspiration such an interesting thing to talk about and such an interesting problem? Because a lot of, if you ask a bunch of high school kids today what they want to be, a lot of them say they want to be YouTubers, you know? And so... They don't want to be YouTubers because... That's like the astronauts of the, of, the, of the future. Exactly, right? But they don't want to be YouTubers because they have a brilliant idea and they're just like amazing artists that was like, well, I have this grand concept and I just want to put it out there, right? That's not why they want to be YouTubers. They want to be YouTubers because they see other YouTubers live a lifestyle that they want. <laughs> Let's be real, right? <laughs> and so right. if you make the decision to become a creator without actually having any artistry developed, any type of storytelling, and don't know what story you will tell, it's gonna be a really rough ride for a couple of years where you find your inner inspiration. And there are almost no startups today that help with this. There are no startups that in the creator economy that, that really become this sort of inspiration engine that help you develop a content strategy, right? And so I think that's another big pillar that I'm really curious about to see develop, to be honest. Interesting. You know, well, I, I think so. So you do believe it's going to become like an infrastructure. And that and that means that, you know, by the end of the day, we all. So when I'm saying we, I'm saying Koji, Wonder and startups who are doing banking, insurance, all of this will have to somehow connect to where creators are born. Right. Because they're born in social media. They're mm -hmm. born on YouTube. They're born on uh, Instagram. They're born on uh, TikTok. How do you do you see uh, uh, is like any bridge uh, that will do that? Or do you think we'll all will live in kind of disconnected environment? So that's a great question. How do we bridge from social to where, let's say, you monetize or you build your fans or your community? Right. And I think there's a lot of companies out there that are trying to cleanly separate those things. You know, the one size fits all community builder type of creator economy app. Right. Um, Right. Now, I don't believe right. that will work in the long term. I don't, I don't think that will scale. And the reason why is because now you're biting the hand that feeds you. And that's the social platform. <laughs> you know, you're basically saying, okay, please, right. please, it's, it's either or, right? You know, convert your fans to this other app because they're better here. And I think that's not a very smart right. uh, way to do it. Um, that's my own opinion here, right? I think the, this is what really excited me about Koji you know, where I now work. And I think it's the, it's the thing where we say, look, the social networks are still extremely important. That's still where you publish your content. That's still where you find your top of funnel audience. But then 
You want to make sure that you have something like a Swiss army knife where you can monetize, where you can engage your fans, etc. as close as possible to that social network, right? And to all of the social networks you publish. Now, again, like the same, what's also not great is if you use the built-in monetization features and rely on them exclusively, because then you're at this really high amount of risk. Then this is, I think that's really a nice segue to Koji because Koji is trying to make that significantly easier, right? I mean, on the surface, Koji looks like a link in bio, but then behind the scenes, it's really not just a simple link list, you know, where you, where you add links to other platforms. It's much more than that. You can do that with a Koji profile, but even more importantly, you can monetize your fans and you can sell PDFs, eBooks, NFTs, you can engage with them, you can create video responses, paid messages, etc. Um, create an email funnel, so the possibilities are endless. endless. There's uh, over 250 mini-apps in the App Store there, and it's an open App Store for anyone to particip participate in. So it's really, I would say, if you think about like the classical websites, you know, a full-blown website, let's say a WordPress website, and a link in bio, uh, right. a very simplistic one, Koji is somewhere in the middle where it feels like a link in bio. It has the, the look and feel, the easiness of setup, but it's way more powerful. And so to answer your, going back to your question, I think it's very important to not go away from the social platforms and say, okay, this is all stupid. And I, so I, I take offense with all the people that say, okay, web two is over. We need to go to web three, right? We need to, we need to go into crypto and the web three right. will solve all of our problems. And going to be decentralized and everything's going to be great right now if you look at nft collections today for instance where do they get hyped where do they, where do they get distributed well turns out in centralized social networks you know twitter discord etc right so right, right so that's totally not a solved problem in web3 at all i think it's very important to think this through and i think uh just moving away from web2 doesn't make sense I agree, by the way, that by the end of the day, we need serve good services in order to deliver good products. Mm -hmm. um, and creators, by the way, are delivering a product by the end of the day. Um, and especially, I'm not a big believer in saying, you know, Web3 will, 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 you know, solve all the problems exactly because of this, because by the end of the day, all of my friends are buying Bitcoin on Binance and it's a centralized pro uh, platform. Yep. And they're doing uh, NFTs on uh, OpenSea, same thing, it's centralized. So. I am on, on this with you. So Koji, back to Koji a little bit. Mm -hmm. Koji is a modular link in bio that allows you to install any kind of uh, added value that you want on top of your social media profile. Um, tell me a little bit about how do you see uh, you know, creators? Because you know, our audience by the end of the day for, for, this, uh, uh, for this podcast is, is our creators. What do you see successful in terms of monetization on Koji, out of side of, outside of Koji, that you would think that creators have to do in order to make this monetization stream, which is extremely important to them? I think the most important thing is to think through the funnel of, you know, who's your audience and who are your fans? Because your audience are the ones that, let's say, find a video of yours on TikTok and they like it, right? And they follow you but they would never follow you on other platforms. They're not your fans. They don't, they like your content. They don't like you. <laughs> so that's a huge difference, right? And right. your fans are those that follow you everywhere. You know, they are the ones that contribute to you financially. And 
and that's really important. Let's say you find a niche that you like and then you don't like it anymore and you have to reinvent yourself, right? Your audience will leave you because they just care about that audience, uh, about that content, right? But your fans will stick yeah. around. So you really have to figure out how do I convert my audience into fans? How do I create that funnel? I think that's probably the most important piece. Now, if you have that figured out, then all the possibilities are open. Now, for instance, like we have this, we have this guy that we did a case study about recently on, on Koji. His name is Kyle and his account is called T-Shirt Fit. And so he uh, creates cookbooks on Koji that he sells on Koji. And these are simple PDFs that he sells on Koji. And he makes about 20K a month from selling those PDFs on Koji alone, right? Wow. So uh, a lot of people don't realize this, that he makes this money from the link in bio, right? That he makes that money from, from that link and not from brand deals on the social media, not from any of this. So that means, what does that mean for him? It means that he's not at all dependent on brand deals. He's not dependent on ads. He can just do whatever he wants at the highest quality that he wants to do it and then uh, make enough money. So now, of course, that's not true for everyone, but I, we want everyone to get there. We want everyone to become part of that creator middle class. And Koji allows you to do that. That's the amazing thing here. And I think, by the way, which is which is why I really love Koji is, is because the, every sector will have its own product market fit kind of a thing where one product is selling very, very good. So, you know, recipes and food, uh, commissions and bookings and travel, uh, you know, NAS Academy with NAS Daily uh, with with uh, uh, education. And I think that what I really love about Koji is that you are able to do that, you know, in one platform, you, you're able to experiment with different kinds of products. There's really two important things that make Koji unique in that way, right? The first one is uh, openness. So the fact is with almost all the other creator economy startups that give you some sort of website or profile, it's really a, a fixed feature set. You know, if you don't like that feature set right. and you want to export it or go to a bigger website or whatever, you're out of luck. Now with, with Koji, you can actually do that because the app store that's attached to it, all these mini functionality, all these mini apps are uh, open and accessible. Uh, so that means if you, if you want to move to a broader website later, right? And let's say you want to move to WordPress, we actually have a WordPress plugin that integrates everything that you've set up on Koji into WordPress site. So Koji is open in that way where others are not. So that's one thing. The other thing is it's much quicker to start something on Koji than it is, let's say, on a traditional website where you have to find a plugin to do it, right? And, you know, everything is different and you have to relearn everything. So with Koji, these mini apps contain all the functionality you need, payments, etc. Uh, and a bunch of the services are shared so that it really takes about five minutes maybe to, to be able to sell a PDF or an NFT on Koji. So that's the huge difference too. You know, it's a lot more frictionless than uh, I would say building a traditional WordPress site. Got it. And, and you know, um, you're, you're saying this extremely important stuff about the uh, uh, probably the, the flexibility and the dynamicness kind of, of Koji. Mm -hmm. But I want to talk a little bit, and, and, and you know, this will be the last question. There is a lot of, the, so to be a creator, to be a successful creator, you have to be entrepreneurial. So, you know, you look at Nas Daily as, a, as an amazing uh, example. You're looking at, at uh, Mr. Beast. You're looking at, you know, just had a podcast with Sarah Funk. She's a, a travel content creator from New York. She's a, 
she has like two companies uh, behind that, which is amazing, like uh, tour guides and 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 and, uh, and content creation stuff like this. How do you help uh, content creators become more entrepreneurial? How do you, or what would you recommend creators to do to get their probably accelerated MBA to becoming a, a successful uh, uh, business creator? That's a that's a really interesting question because I don't know if I agree with the premise of the question, but I answer I answer the first part first, right? So the first part is I think if you want to okay. if you want to be a business as a creator, then I think first of all think about where you want to go, right? Do you want to sell merchandise? Do you want to like what are the things that actually excite you about becoming a creator business? Because if you don't like the idea of merchandise, don't go there, right? So think about all the services you want to offer and expand right. into, then find the right partners for you. And also make sure that you're not working for somebody, that all the startups that you pick you know, in, in the creator economy, everything is a service to you, right? You are the business, <laughs> you know, you're not living in somebody else's business. Right. So you need to make sure that all of these services, whether it's a creator bank account, whether it's you know, a tool for editing, whether it's Koji, all of these things should work for you. And so uh, that's super, super important. Now I will say, I don't necessarily agree with the premise that every creator should become a business and, and that you have to have a business to be successful because I think some creators should just stay artists. You know, they should focus mainly on their artistry and I think we should normalize that too. Now the problem right now is that they get, they get, uh, you know, the, the shorter stick, you know, that's the big problem, right? Like if you're an artist, if you just want to create content, ultimately somebody is going to use you, uh, you know, whether it's the social platforms, whether it's somebody else. And I think that's something we have to change. We need more companies that actually foster these kind of artistic creators and enable them as well. Like I think it should be okay that if you just want to create content, you should be able to do it. Now, same as in normal life, will you become super rich as a blue collar worker? Probably not, right? Like, yes, if you, if you want to be Mr. Beast, great, go for it. But I think it should be normalized that both paths are okay. Right, and that's interesting. And so, uh, but, but by the end of the day, one thing that I do want to say is that, you know, you said that you have to know your audience, you have to understand. And that's basically like doing when you're building a business is understanding who's your customer. Mm -hmm. So that's my that's my question by the end of the day. How does somebody who doesn't have any background in business or understanding customers should learn how to do that? Well, you know what? Uh, I could come with a lot of really smart things to say here, but the best thing right now to do is to honestly test it. You know, if you think about what uh, right. Jimmy experiment, yeah, what Jimmy says about this, right, Mr. Beast, what uh, PewDiePie says about this, it's all the same. It's like. You know, one of the things that Jimmy says all the time is create a, a 100 shitty videos, <laughs> you know, and the, the important bit here right. is, is on shitty, right? That's the really important part because your first 100 videos will probably not work. They're probably not going to work, right? The, first of all, the production quality will be low. But if you give yourself that leeway to, to get there, not only will you raise your production quality and find out what works, but you will also find out who your audience is. You know, what are the things that actually resonate? So experiment with a hundred things, whether it's videos or blog posts right. or stories, right? But that really helps you drill down and figure out what resonates. I think there's no secret sauce to this. So far, nobody I know has been able to say, well, look, this is 
you know, a structured process and you come up with the ideal audience. <laughs> that's not how it works, unfortunately. And that's, yeah. And I understand now why did you go to, you know, why, why you like Koji so much and why you, you it, why this platform is so amazing because it actually allows you to experiment very fast. Absolutely. Right? You have all of these mini, mini apps and you can install it and just... Uh, two seconds and just test it. So this is really like a very a lean startup way of becoming a creator, which I really, really like. Exactly right. Yeah. Well said. Cool, Paul. Thank you so, so much for your time. Thank you so, so much for being here. And thank you so, so much for, you know, sharing the wisdom and all of your experience with the, our creators, with creators who are uh, uh, watching this podcast. Um, and uh, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Absolutely. Have a good one. Thank you. Bye-bye.